0: part of that, okay? Uh, Let me pray, and then we're going to jump into Exodus chapter 31 this morning. Father, we are very thankful for this day, a day of A beauty as we celebrate amazing uh, women in our church and in our families, as we set aside and consecrate these families to raise their kids in the ways of Jesus, we pray that we would be a church that celebrates and edifies and works towards the spiritual formation of every child that walks into this church. So we pray that in every environment that they may find themselves, that little gospel seeds would be dripped into their hearts, and uh, we long for the day. Uh, when we see uh, them come to know you as Lord and as Savior. And so I pray now as we jump into Exodus 31 uh, that you would help us to settle, help us to see clearly what it is that you would have for us. So we love you and we trust you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if, if you're not, if you haven't been a part of the branch, if you're here because your grandchild is being dedicated, um, we're gonna, this is going to be super churchy for a second, okay? Um, This morning's message is really all about three things, and they all start with the same letter, and that was an accident, okay? So don't judge me for that. We're not that kind of church, all right? But this morning is all about power, presence, and provision, okay? And I think these three words have a huge impact on who we are as people of God, Right? And so the story of Exodus, and we've been in Exodus for a long time. We're getting close, guys. We're really close. We're in, we're in 31. Next week we'll be in 32. That means we're almost done, okay, sometime in August, all right? But the, thi- the thing that we have to see here is that the Spirit, especially in these first, we're going to take this in two sections, okay? And this first section is that the Spirit empowers God's people, right? The Spirit empowers God's people. And then the Sabbath, which is the second part of uh, this morning, the Sabbath reminds us and refreshes us as God's people. I think it's important, too, as even as we do child dedication or family dedication, that we are all children of God. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that. I think we can take things real serious. Sometimes we forget that we are children of God uh, brought into the family and given a seat at the table, even if it is the children's table. But today is all about the power of God, the presence of God, and His provision in our lives. And I hope the story of Exodus has proven those three things to be true, that God has been extremely powerful as he's rescued his people out of Egypt. He's preserved them in the wilderness. He has been present, whether it's through a cloud of smoke or uh, manna coming out uh, out of the sky or water from a rock. He has continued to be present in their lives. And in each of those seasons of Israel's history, he's continued to provide for them. And that refrain of, I will be your God and you will be my people, is the greatest provision in human history. I, I think for us, we're going to talk about Sabbath today. Okay? And I have a hard time with Sabbath. Okay? We're going to get there and I'm going to confess some stuff and it's just going to be fine. Uh, we all struggle with Sabbath. True Sabbath, the true rest, not just the not doing anything, but the true rest. And it's because we worry a lot about things. We worry about, are we going to have enough money? Are our kids going to be good enough at church? Or are we going to have enough to get through the week? Or whatever the worry is, are we going to pass our tests? Is my report at work going to be good enough? And so we're just constantly bombarded with worry. And worry is the enemy of rest. And I think for us, the great promise that we have is that everything that we need can be found in the presence of God. Everything that we need. Even if on this earth we have too little, if we have the presence of God, we have just enough. This is the beauty in uh, the prayer of Agur, and I've talked about this in different environments at our church, where the prayer is this. This is from Proverbs 30. "Is Lord, give me just enough for the day. If you give me too much, I'm going to defame your name by thinking too highly of myself, right? I'm guilty of that some of you are probably as well but don't give me too little because if you give me too little I'm going to defame your name because I'm going to steal and then he ref- kind of does the repetition of the refrain of give me just enough for the day everything we have everything we need is found in the presence of God so let's read Exodus 31 verse 1 this is all about the spirit of God empowering his people the Lord said to Moses see I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Maybe just if you write in your Bible, right there, underline that. I have filled him with the Spirit. Who has filled him? Moses didn't fill him. God filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. Okay, pause. Every craft. Okay, so I don't know what you think about your job or your role in the world, but this word every means all of them. Okay, so whatever it is that God has set you aside to do in the world he has set you aside to do His will, to do His purposes, to fulfill His mission in the world. So a lot of times we think, well, I'm not a good preacher, or I can't, I can't pastor kids, or I can't do lead a family group, and yet you've been called to be a teacher in a public school, or you've been called to do a thing, right? We've done this before, but you have been set aside to do God's work in the world, and He's given you everything you needed. How about the confidence of knowing that with all ability, with all intelligence, with all knowledge, everything, all the craftsmanship He's given to you, forget your degree. Right? Now, don't do that. But you get my point. Behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability, that they may make all that I have commanded you. The tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat that is on it, all the furnishings of the tent, the table, its utensils, the lampstand... And all its utensils and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, with all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron, the priests, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. Verse 11, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded, they shall do. So God has continued to provide for his people, right? He comes up with a very elaborate, ornate plan. He's a very good architect, right? Even if, was, if we look at the world and creation around us, and we look at how he's perfectly intertwined at even our own human bodies, he's very good at design, but he's very specific. Now, here's the reality. If you've ever worked with wood, if you miss by this much, you've missed by a mile, okay? Or you've lost a finger. All right? That's what I know to be true. When I was in college, I worked for a carpenter, um, and he had nine and a half fingers, and yet I still followed him, and I trusted him, and I should have known better. Uh, I love to work with wood. It's one of the things that I enjoy. I don't have time to do it a lot, but I enjoy it. I like the perfection of cutting a piece of wood, and it fits perfectly. If you've ever done it, it's very satisfying. If you've not done it, try. Watch your finger, right? Right? But the reality is, is God has given us everything that we need in order to fulfill His purpose. So He lays out this grand detail. All of this stuff that the tabernacle had to be just right. Without the Spirit of God indwelling Bezalel, guess what happens? It looks like you and I built it. Okay? We put together a swing set one time. We had to take it down and hire someone to put it together. Okay? That was before we moved it from one location to the other location and packed it back up and moved it back to the original location. Okay? This is how we are. If we don't slow down, if we're not indwelled by the Spirit, we're going to miss the point of who God has called us to be and what He has called us to do. The tent's going to be crooked. The gold's going to be outside and the bronze is going to be on the inside. And guess what happens? The priests die. That's scary. I don't mean to scare you. That's just the reality. God is very specific about who He is and what he is calling us to do. But God's spirit is given to Bezalel so that God's people can obey his commands. It's through his craftsmanship that now the priests can fulfill their duty. Bezalel wasn't a priest, neither is Aholiab. These were workers who are building the tabernacle so that the priests can come in. Do you see how communal this is? It wasn't just the priests that were responsible. If a holy ab misses a dimension, the priests are in trouble. If the priests miss a detail, a holy ab is in trouble because the priests offer a sacrifice on behalf of his sin. And so, this community of God, the people of God, come together filled with the Spirit. They've been set apart with God given ability to do exactly and to say exactly what God has commanded them to do. As Christians, though, we have a better empowerment because now the Spirit indwells us. This is the beautiful thing as Acts kicks off. Acts is the book that kind of casts the historical trajectory of the church, right? Christ comes. He lives a perfect life. He dies a horrible death. He rises on the third day. Forty days later, he ascends to the right hand of the Father, and bam, the church takes off, okay? And at the beginning of this, guess what happens? This is Acts 1.8. You will have power when my Spirit comes upon you. The Spirit has come upon us. That is a promise of the Scripture. It's one of the things that the disciples of Jesus were craving, and it's one of the things they received as they walked with Jesus. As Christians, we have a better empowerment because we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We no longer have to go behind a curtain to find the presence of God. The presence of God is inside of us. And before that sounds like vacation Bible school, just remember that God works through covenants. He works through covenants. The covenant in the Old Testament was you bring a sacrifice and I will forgive your sin. The covenant of the New Testament is, I will provide the sacrifice, and then I'll forgive your sin. That is the beauty of the gospel. In the New Covenant, the Spirit is not reserved for specific roles. It's not just the priests or the craftsmen who are building the tabernacle, but it's given to every Christian to empower them to obey God's commands and His purposes. Sometimes, though, we expect the Spirit to work in catastrophic ways, don't we? To move mountains. And yet sometimes He moves those mountains pebble by pebble. I meet with so many people who are like, I'm just looking for God to do a magnificent work in my life. And I'm like, yes, but you're in Jesus. The magnificent work is done. You were dead, and now you're alive. And yet they, they want this grand plan that they have drawn up in their own flesh to come true. They want to be the, the best at their job. And yet they show up late to work, and they leave early, and they take a three-hour lunch. Right? So this passage, as it's teaching us about work and responsibility, leads to the next passage when it talks about rest and the rhythms of trust. And sometimes the Spirit's best work is done through slow, deliberate, daily practice. It's not, boom, the lights are on. Sometimes it's light bulb by light bulb as we go through. But the Spirit enables us to obedience. There's two truths I want us to see from this passage, and we'll move into the Sabbath. The first is we need the Spirit of God to accomplish the work of God. You can do good things in the world, okay, you can, on your own. Unbelievers, non-Christians, they can do good things in the world, generally they're motivated by their own selfish desires, okay, that's not a, not casting judgment, just the reality. But God calls us to accomplish His work as He indwells us with the Spirit. Those two things cannot be separated, we're at a different work. We feed the hungry, yes, to, to satisfy their earthly need of hunger, pain, yet to point them to the eternal hope that they have or that they need in a Savior, Jesus. It's so the second truth that I want us to see is the Spirit's work through us may not be sensational work, but it is important work. You may never stand up here, although this is a great place to stand. You're beautiful, by the way, some of you, but your work is no less important than my work or than Andrew's work or Jared's work. You may never play a guitar up here, but your work is no less important than Riley's work. We don't set us, there's no, there's no Christian elite. There are those in the family of God and there are those not in the family of God. And that is who God is calling us to be. And then it's our responsibility to go and to proclaim the gospel. Now let's read verse 12 down through the end of chapter 31 on the Sabbath. If you have open-toed shoes, you may want to cover your feet here. I brought my steel toes today. I'm just kidding, they're Nikes. Verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all. Okay, right? So we have all these commands, all of them. And then he says here, above all, you shall keep my Sabbath. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Who does the sanctifying? The Lord does the sanctifying. Verse 14, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. You think God takes the Sabbath seriously? Verse 15, six days you shall work. Six days shall work be done. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. He gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. God cares a lot about his people. He cares so much that he wants you to rest in him. Now, I understand that we live in a culture. I don't think we're special, by the way. I think every culture from Eden till now has wrestled with time. They've wrestled with rest. Because as soon as we had to work in the garden to preserve the garden, we went to work. And we've had a hard time resting now, I think the, the thing that we have to remember here as we talk about Sabbath, and I'm going to lay this out over the next few minutes, but the Sabbath is given to us to remind us and to refresh us. It's those two purposes, to remind us and to refresh us. So what are we reminding of? We're being reminded, one, that God has created all things, and all things are in submission to his authority, including you, including me including our roles within our companies or our roles as a student, including our roles in the world. All of them are to serve his purposes. The second thing is it's the Sabbaths are there to refresh us. I would be really curious. I'm not going to do this to you because I don't want to shame anyone. I, I would be included in this, okay? So I, would, I don't feel shame, but it's just his reality. How many of you are tired this morning? You walk in and you're just like, thank God I'm here. I'm with my people. You take a deep breath you know, a lot of times people will be like, well, how, so you work on Sunday. Like, yeah, this is kind of work, but this is refreshing work, right? There's a, I think there's a little bit of a difference, but I've got to figure that out, right? We've got to figure out, okay, if, if Sundays are early for me, okay, this is me just being full disclosure, I am, the, I am the chief among sinners when it comes to Sabbath, okay? Sundays are a work day. I'm up early, I'm out of the house early, I'm here early, okay? We're usually the first ones here or I'm the first ones here. It depends on how early the kids woke up see if they're here too. Right? Somebody's breaking lights or throwing something. Right? But we're here. We're always doing this. But when we leave here, we have a very specific rhythm. We go home. We eat lunch. We put Berkeley to take a nap. She's three. And then we take naps. The older kids watch a movie. And they will, our kids will look over when we turn on the movie and be like, Good night, Dad. And it's just snoozing, right? But that's not Sabbath, is it? Sabbath isn't just the lack of work. Sabbath is intentional rest. And so for us, we find intentional rest through what we do as a family. So one of the things that over the course of the last year since I stepped into this role, and I have another job, so I'm bivocational, which means you got two jobs, really, okay, is that I've got to go home at a time where I can see and play with my kids, even if that means I don't respond to your text or your email. And you know what? I trust that you're going to be okay with that. Because if I don't, guess what happens? I quit in a year. And this is just me personally. We all have stories like this. We all have busy lives. We all have things that the world is saying, this is the most important. If you don't do this, you're not going to climb the corporate ladder. Have you heard that? If you don't stay late or show up early or if you don't come in on a Saturday, there's no way to get to the top, and that is the anti-gospel. Listen to these points on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is meant to remind us of who God is, of his nature, of his character. God didn't need rest, yet he chose rest because he knew that we needed the example of rest. He wasn't tired when he spoke you into existence. The mountains were nothing for him. He just went, and they were. And yet he chose to rest because he knew that we would follow him. We would follow his rhythm because in our sinful nature, we wanted to be God. The second, the Sabbath is meant to refresh us by giving us rest not only from our work, But from our worry, it's amazing to see how those two things are always connected. The third is that our ultimate Sabbath rest is found through the work of Jesus. And our regular Sabbathing is pointing us towards that rest. There is a true and better rest that is coming that we will never experience on this earth. There's always going to be hard ground to till. There's always going to be snakes to bite your ankles. Proverbially, I hope. Right? There's always going to be something left undone. And yet we must choose rest. But here's what Sabbath is not. Sabbath is not laziness. It's not lethargy. It's not removal from community. It's dwelling in the presence of God. There you will find true rest. There you will find true rest. So, rest for my family is pretty active. It's coming home. It's playing Uno. Which, if you haven't found Uno Express... It's a really good way to make that game go faster. Okay? Right? But we find ourselves oftentimes longing for a rain out. Parents in the room, you ever prayed for rain so you didn't have to go to practice? No? Are you serious? Oh, Father, forgive me for we have sinned. Listen to what Jesus says about the Sabbath. This is Luke 13. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over, could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight. And then it says, She glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Now, there are a few men throughout scriptures that deserve a solid punch to the chin. This is one of those guys, okay? The reality is this guy is in a lot of our churches today. He's called the hypocrite. The Lord answered him, and he said, you hypocrites, with an exclamation mark. So at this point, he's raised his voice, Okay? You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman a daughter of Abraham, this is a zinger, by the way, if you know the Old Testament, the daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by Him. The Sabbath doesn't remove us from responsibility. It magnifies it. Okay? If my kid has a dirty diaper on Sabbath, guess what? We're changing the dirty diaper because we're all better for it. Although she's three, she changes her own diaper, and it's a disaster. Okay? There's a... There's a book. Some of you in the room have read it. I know that you have because you encouraged me to read it. It's called uh, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's by a guy named John Mark Comer. Listen to what he writes in the book. He says, Ultimately, nothing in this life apart from God can satisfy our desires. Tragically, we continue to chase after our desires ad infinitum. The result? A chronic state of restlessness. Have you ever been there? Then he says, or worse angst, anger, anxiety, disillusionment, depression, all of which lead to a life of hurry, a life of busyness, overload, shopping, materialism, careerism, a life of more, which in turn makes us even more restless, and the the cycle spirals out of control. Busyness is the enemy of contentment, We like to fill our schedules so that we can find identity. We set more meetings or we go to more study halls or we go to more practice because we find our identity in what we do rather than who we have declared to be. God has said, You are a child of God. You are a son. You are a daughter. That is your identity. And guess what? You don't have to work for it. The work has been done, and now you can rest fully and finally as a redeemed, restored child of God. One of the things I've been wrestling with a lot lately is asking the question, how are you? And some of you are fantastic about asking me this. You'll text me or you email or you call me. It's just like, how are you? And I know the genuineness of your heart. But oftentimes our response is this, oh, I'm great, I'm just busy. Have you ever done that? I'm great, I'm just busy. Right? We're coming in a season, we love the, my family loves the spring. Spring's baseball season. It's also soccer season. Okay? School's still in session. Right? So it's like something that's going on every night. And you guys always want to get married in the spring. <laughs> I did too. Our anniversary is tomorrow. The hours is today. 40 years, by the way. Yeah? <laughs> but our answer is always I'm great. I'm just busy. Or I'm great, just tired. Or great, just distracted. Well, what if we resp- replace that with, I'm great, just angry, or I'm great, just anxious, or I'm great, I'm lonely, or, I'm great, I'm depressed, or I'm great, you fill in the blank. Ultimately, busyness is what leads to those things, because the world says your identity is in what you do, not in who you are, who you've been declared to be. I remember reading a book in college. Uh, Stephen Covey, this is is not a gospel statement. But he would say, I can tell you everything you need to know about what you care about by looking at two things, your calendar and your bank account. I'm sure a lot of people have said that, but I remember him saying that. And then he would do this image with a big vase, and he would dump it full of sand. And he said, this is all the little things in your life that you try to occupy your time. And these are the big things. He'd take a big rock. He says, they don't fit when you have too many little things in your life. And then he'd dump the thing out, and then he'd go get the big rock, and he'd put the rock in first, the big things, the most important things. You are a dad. You are a mom. You are a husband. You are a wife. The big things. You are a follower of Jesus. The big rocks in your life. And those would go in first. And he says, oh, okay, and then you're an accountant, and it would be a smaller rock. Right? Or, or you're a teacher, a smaller rock. Or you're a volunteer baseball coach. Here's some sand. Right? And all of a sudden, all this stuff that he had on the table fit into this vase because it was prioritized. Everything we need to know about what you care about can be found found by looking at your calendar. So, here's what I'm going to do I'm going to close this down by talking about healthy rhythms of fullness. Okay? Because I think fullness and busyness are different. All right? Fullness and busyness are different, they are not the same. I'm going to use my family as an example, which I've tried to do because I want you to see our vulnerabilities as we lead and guide. We have three kids all doing different things. We are aware that oftentimes those rhythms of what they're involved in prevent us from rest. And so we have to fight for it. We have to choose it. Sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's hard. And yet at the end of each week, we can look back on our schedule and say, our week was full. It kind of felt busy. But it was full. Because when you're a young family, like my family, you have things going, it's like a shotgun. Everybody's going everywhere all the time. That's just a reality. What you've got to do is, how do you find center? And so what do we do? We fight for dinner at our table. I know that's a little thing, and we don't always get it, okay? Just to be honest. But we fight for it. So if a game does get canceled, or a practice does get postponed, guess what we're doing? We're sitting down on that table with teeth marks in it, and we're going to enjoy whatever it is that we could scrounge up from our refrigerator. Or my wonderful wife has made a magnificent meal, which is most likely the case. So we fight for that. We fight for that, at least weekly. And as often as we're able, we try to do fun things, things that make us smile, like jumping off a dock, and then the fact that mom won't jump off the dock. They think it's hilarious, right? Or, you know, playing a game or whatever the thing is. We all have those things that bring us joy, that make you smile. That's where we find the presence of God and we can find rest there. So our rhythms will all look different. And so what I don't want us to do is to look at a fullness of life and reject it as unholy. Because throughout different seasons in your life, fullness looks different, okay? Okay. Institutional rest, though, is not rest at all, is it? PTO isn't real rest. PTO isn't real rest. We need the elimination of worry, the elimination of hurry. Even though the ladder in the corner is very enticing to climb it, we need to press pause. And one of the beautiful reorientations that Jesus does is he flips the Sabbath upside down. And we've talked about this in the past whereas before we worked in order to rest, now we rest in order to work. The Sabbath for us is on the first day of the week. We come together as the body of Christ on the first day of the week so that we can be full and sent out. We can rest with purpose. We can be launched into the world as renewed, refreshed children of God, as beacons of hope and life. So do you trust God to provide for your needs? because so ultimately how you answer all of these questions this morning is, the, is how you answer that one question. How are you? Well, I'm good, but busy. Okay, but do you trust God to meet your needs? Do you trust him to bring fullness of life? When was the last time you experienced true joy, contentment? I promise it wasn't the day where you went meeting to 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 meeting, to meeting and then you stayed up and answered emails till midnight. I know that's not true. When we pray, this is the Lord's prayer, by the way, give us this day our daily bread. What do you mean? What do you mean? Do you actually mean give me just enough for today? Because I believe when you have just enough for today, you will be more joyful than if you had all the bread in the world and didn't have the presence of God. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, this is verse 27. It says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Verse 28. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Amen. I pray that you will rest well. Rest in the presence, the power, and the provision of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Spirit, fully indwelled, inside of you as a follower of Jesus. I pray that your life would be leveraged. I pray that it would be full, never busy. That you would rest well from all of the pressure that the world keeps bombarding us with, my goodness. I pray that you would find contentment. I pray that you would laugh a lot. I know that in seasons where I am laughing a lot, my life is full. Because I can see things to be funny things, whereas when it's busy, funny things aren't funny anymore, are they? We will close all of our gatherings the same way. This is going to the table to take the bread in the cup. And this morning, I hope that it will be a time that you're reminded and refreshed. Even that is a little micro-Sabbath as we go to the table and take the bread. At the branch, we take the bread and we dip it in the cup as a symbol of Christ's broken body and his spilled out blood for our salvation. So if you're a Christian in the room, I don't really care where your church membership is, you're invited to the table. If you're not a Christian in the morning, some of our elders and pastors will be over there. If you'd like to pray, we want to do that. We want to do that with you. We want to do that all the time, okay? So would you come and find us and do that now? Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the example that you've given us from the very beginning of time to rest well in your presence. And I pray for these brothers and sisters. I pray for my own family. That in seasons of hurry, that we would figure out how to pause. We would figure out healthy rhythms of walking through life in a culture that bombards us with hurry, with pressure, with worry and anxiety and all the things. I pray that each day, you would show us more of yourself, And as we see you more clearly and more beautifully and more fully, that we would rest well in your presence. You've given us all power. Everything that we need is found in you. Our greatest contentment is found at your feet. So I pray now as we enter into a time of worship, a time of communion, that you would go before us. Give us renewal. Refresh our souls. We love you. We pray these things. In Jesus' beautiful name, amen.